Hello and welcome to Inside Exams. I'm Craig Barton. I'm a maths teacher with 15 years of classroom experience. I can make good use of visualisers and mini whiteboards, but exam materials can feel a bit foreign. So across this series, I'm uncovering the secrets exam boards might usually keep to themselves and asking how they can help us become even better teachers. Today, I want to talk about mark schemes. Now, I'll tell you what I'm thinking about as my point of reference here. Pub quizzes. It all starts off perfectly jolly until you're asked to swap papers with the team next to you. I don't know about you, but I spend more time sneaking a look at the person who's marking my answers, making sure they're being fair and defending why my answer is right. Thank you very much. And over on my table, I might be more inclined to be lenient in ticking an answer if it's my mate sheet. I know that his brain was on the right track and would have got there in the end. Humans aren't always the most reliable markers. So what role does a solid mark scheme play in ensuring examiners award marks to our students impartially? Before I head off to find out, I need to know what else you need to know. Hello, my name's Laura and I'm a drama teacher. The mark scheme for each of the drama components relies on subjective interpretation, an example being the assessment bands for the C2 devising log, which are split into four sections, excellent, good, reasonable and limited. What further support can you put in place for teachers to ensure rigour and consistency? I wonder too, as a teacher, does your perspective of your students' potential impact how leniently or harshly you mark their work? How can we write mark schemes that prevent that from happening? I'm off to meet Suzanne Oates, one of AQA's assessment design managers, to pick her brains. Well, Suzanne, it is fantastic to meet you. Throughout this series, I've been learning loads about how exams are put together. But one missing piece so far has been the mark schemes themselves, which obviously are a fundamentally important part of the exam process. So I'm thinking you are just the person to help me out with this. And I'm going to open up with a two-mark question for you. Okay. What are mark schemes and why do we need them? So mark schemes are the method by which we categorise students into bands in order that we can grade them and give them an appropriate grade. And we need them because we sometimes have hundreds of examiners marking responses from different students. We have obviously thousands of, of students taking our exams and we need to make sure that all of the examiners who are applying the mark scheme can do so in a consistent way. So we can't just let them give what marks they feel, we have to give them some structure for, for actually playing those marks. Who actually writes the mark scheme? Is it is it the people writing the questions themselves? Yeah, that's right. So we have a number of subject experts who are involved in the creation of papers. And when a lead assessment writer, is what we call them, is producing the question papers, mm. they also produce the mark schemes. And in fact, we actually recommend that the mark schemes are written before the questions oh, are written, wow, which really? sounds a little bit counterintuitive. But one of the key issues that we find is somebody will write a question, they think they know what they're asking, yeah. and then they write the mark scheme, and those two things don't necessarily match up. Whereas if you actually write the mark scheme first, if you if you can define what we call the outcome space, so that's the kinds of answers that you're expecting to see, what are you wanting to elicit, the question almost from then writes itself because you've expressed what you want to see in the answers, and then you think, okay, what question would elicit this? Wow. Now it doesn't always happen like that, but that is what we what we recommend. And there are lots of things that can be avoided if you do the mark scheme first. So one of one of the key examples is hurdles in a mark scheme. 
So a question might be, discuss the differences between cats and dogs. I mean, it probably wouldn't be, but let's take that as an example. And then if you've written a mark scheme that to get the top marks, you say students must have discussed at least three differences between cats and dogs. Yes. Well, you haven't told the students that. And it could be that a student only talks about two differences, but they do it in real depth. Yes. And if what you're looking for is breadth, you need to specify that in the question. So if you can articulate what you want to see in the outcome, then you know what the question should be. Let me get into the mind of the examiner here. Is it literally the case that they are essentially answering that question in a few different ways and then almost kind of marking themselves as a way to then create the mark scheme? Or is it, is it a bit more complicated than that? In a sense. So what we'll usually use for an essay-based question, let's say the cats and dogs will use an yeah, essay let's stick with it. question. Let's do it. <laughs> we would usually use what we call a level of response mark scheme. Okay. So what we do with those is we actually define different levels of outcome. So we explain the kinds of things we would we would expect to see mm-hmm. in a weak response, uh, a sort of slightly better response, a middling response, uh, a pretty strong, good response, and then an excellent response. Mm. And, and you can have a different number of mark schemes depending on the tariff of the question. So rather than actually sort of writing an actual response, yes. you're thinking about the features that you're looking for. And... That can be very challenging to do because you need to remember the assessment objectives. Oof. You need to so you need to make sure that if it's a knowledge question, if it's an un, or an understanding question, that's what it, the mark scheme targets. If you're requiring them to anal, analyze a source, that's what you're crediting. So you've always got to remember what's the assessment objective, what's the command word of the question. Have we asked for a discursive yes. response or an explanation? Have we asked for key points to be laid out or do we want to do some comparison? Bear that in mind and actually then start to define what features we'd expect to see in each of the levels. So if you're looking at a basic response, then you're probably not seeing much comparison happening. You're probably just looking statement of a small number of facts. There's limited limited analysis of those facts. But then when you get up to the top band, you're seeing a wider range of points. You're seeing some analysis going on. And it's separating and differentiating those levels that's the key thing. Okay, so I've got my head around level of response. Is there any other technical lingo I need to know about different types of mark scheme? Yeah, so we have objective mark schemes. These are usually in response to a multiple choice or very low tariff question. And there is just a right answer. There is simply a right answer. And we can get a high degree of accuracy with marking of those because it's either right or wrong. And then we also have penny point mark schemes. So this is where, usually for fairly low tariff questions, although it can get it can get quite high, mm. but they have a range of correct answers. Right. So the key to success with these is to make sure that the questions are really tightly defined, mm. so that a student can't get marks just sort of by writing almost anything. Yes. It's got to be pretty tightly defined, and the indicative content in the mark scheme must be. Um, very clear and very clear is we're going to be very clear how to apply it so an example could be state three colors that appear in the rainbow okay and then the mark scheme would be red orange yellow green blue indigo and violet yes and you could also define what's not acceptable so you could say for example purple is not enough got it now i'll tell you something that keeps coming up throughout this series these flipping assessment objectives <laughs> they must be the bane of examiners lives right <laughs> so just talk to me about how do they impact how mark schemes are put together and how do they kind of constrain in a way mm-hmm. what examiners can do so assessment objectives basically define what type of question we can ask and so 
for example, one of the subjects I look after is computer science. And if we're asking students to look at an algorithm and do a trace on that algorithm, so actually work out what the algorithm's doing, what the outputs would be, that would be an AO2 apply question. Right. If we're asking them to explain what that algorithm does, that could be either maybe AO2 analysis or it could be understanding. Just depends how the question's structured. Flipping egg. So you've got to be really careful because you re- you have to have a balance because the assessment objectives, they're defined by our regulator off Yes, in terms yes. Of how much coverage you've got to have. They keep coming up off quality, aren't they? <laughs> yeah. And they'll say, okay, well, these papers have to be 30% AO1, yeah, 30% absolutely. AO2, what have you. So we've got to make sure that the percentage of questions in the final paper match the assessment objectives that we start off with. So we have big tracking grids and all the assessment writers know that they need to target in particular proportions each of the assessment objectives. Got it. Fantastic. So if we go back to the evolution of these mark schemes. Mm -hmm. So so I'm the examiner. I've, I've got my cats and dogs question going on here. I've banged out a few kind of sample responses and I think I've put my mark scheme together. Mm-hmm. Who, who sees it next? So it goes through um, a quite a, a long process. There'll be a reviser who comes in and looks at it, who is some fresh eyes on it. And then a series of people, teachers and subject experts, and me as an assessment design manager, oh. who will be looking to see, to make sure that the content in the mark scheme matches the question. That's one of the key yes. things that I ask. And there are a bunch of things that we will look for. You mentioned maths earlier. Are we giving marks for working out, mm. if even if they've got the answer wrong? Mm. So how is that? How are those ones? So even relatively straightforward mark schemes, or what you think might be straightforward, yes. there's quite a lot of thought goes into them because you've got to know exactly what you're going to credit. Do they only get the marks if they get the answer right, yes. or is that you know can can they get marks along the way? We have to make sure we're not penalising the same mistake twice. So mm. if they if they make an error, say if we went back to the the dogs question and they said there was a, a particular difference between breeds of dogs and that, that sort of flowed through their answer. Yes. But the, the kind of ideas behind it were sound. You have to make decisions about what, how far you're going to penalise one mistake. Mm. If it's fundamental, a fun, fundamental misunderstanding of something in the subject, then that's fine. But if you're just penalising it, for its own sake because you know they've made this mistake and that's particularly true in calculation questions if they're carrying a mistake through you want to try and avoid that and credit the logic and the understanding that's behind it rather than just saying oh well they get no marks because they made one mistake at the beginning tell you the worst things to mark are those kind of three and four mark questions where the kid makes an error line one Mm -hmm. Their answer's not right, and you think, "Uh uh-oh, I can't just cross this because I've got to look for these follow-on marks, or do you have a technical term, I assume, that is, I call them follow-on marks. Mm -hmm. Is is there a technical term? We usually say follow-through. Oh, perfect. I'm almost there. I'm almost there. (laughs) Now, the problem with that, of course, is that there's almost an infinite number of paths that that answer can take, right, depending on the mistake the kid's made. And if they make it line one, and it's a four or five mark question, Mm -hmm. it's sprouting off all over the show, and no mark scheme in the world can kind of Mm -hmm. cover all those different things. So how do mark schemes deal with that kind of stuff? We'll give some instructions. So there'll be, if the student, so say say the first first step should Mm. be multiplying something by 8,000. Yeah. And they've done it by 800. Yes. We kind of know that sometimes happens. Yeah, of course. We'll know often because we've got you know teachers involved in this process. We know the kinds of mistakes that students tend mm, to make. Mm. So we'll give some instructions about if they've done this bit incorrectly, 
just concern yourself with the logic of the next yes, step. Yes, yes. And then we'll usually give a couple of examples, common ones we expect, fully worked out with the marks allocated so you can mm. see, okay, well, they haven't got the first mark point, but the second step they've made in the calculation, yes. even though it's got the wrong values in it, is actually correct. So we can give that mark point. They've got the third step wrong. They've gone gone astray somewhere. But actually, by the time they've got to the fourth step, they are doing the calculation we'd expect. So they could get maybe two out of the five. Yeah. What fascinates me about this is that's, that's maths. And maths is a, a relatively objective subject. You're either right mm-hmm. or wrong. And yet, still within mark schemes in mathematics, I find there's a certain degree of subjectivity. Have they meant to do that? Can I take it from their line of working that they are displaying the correct method and so on that's mathematics and we we refer enough things in math but what what on earth do you do in a subject like english or history there must be so much subjectivity that comes in that, that again i can't imagine how a mark scheme would would account for all that i think it goes back to again clear description of the levels mm. so what are the key features and and one of the things that we you know we're learning and developing all the time and i spend a lot of time talking to, to my examiners about is it isn't good enough just to say bad getting a bit better <laughs> yeah, yeah well this is all right oh this is quite good and yeah. brilliant it's not good enough you need to explain what the features of that are what does excellent analysis mm. look like what kind of things are you looking for And another key point is also indicative content. So the kinds of things that we expect to see in answers. And sometimes, you know, you have an examiner who's an expert in a particular field and they write this kind of dissertation length, really highly complex indicative content. There's no 16 or 18 year old in the country (laughs) is going to be putting that in their answer. (laughs) So you're kind of cutting that back and saying, no, what are the key points? What are the kinds of things kids are going to be talking about? And then the other key thing that we use is standardisation material. So you can't really underestimate seeing the mark scheme being applied. So before we start standardising these teams of examiners, Mm -hmm. a bunch of senior examiners get together, choose some exemplar scripts and they will exemplify sometimes a really clear example of a particular mark Mm. but also sometimes the most useful ones ones where there's a little bit of a debate and discussion you can actually tease out some of those finer points and say well we ultimately put this answer in band three Mm. even though it's showing some features of band four it's solidly in band three it's near the top of band three because of those you know band four features but it's not doing enough to get into the next one and so if you can have some of those discussions either face-to-face or we have online standardisation as well. Yes. That really is key to kind of embedding the understanding of that mark scheme in examiners' minds. So clearly differentiated levels. They've got to be clearly different and then having lots of really good exemplar materials so that you can train examiners. So I can see now how the mark scheme may evolve before the actual exam sat. But mm-hmm. correct me if I'm wrong, and this is down to my limited experience of maths marking, is it true sometimes the mark scheme changes after the kids have actually taken the exam? Yep, that's right. We do try and keep it to a minimum. Mm. We're getting much better. Every, every exam series, we learn more, we understand more, we know what to expect more, and we try and build that in up front. But we are surprised sometimes. We're surprised by how questions are interpreted. You know, it's been through every single possible check you can think of. <laughs> and yet, 
a large proportion of students have interpreted a question differently from mm. how you intended it to be mm. to be taken. So we have to be flexible at that point. And if we're seeing some unexpected responses, then we need to be able to, to credit those. What we try to do, and certainly one thing that we do in computer science, is we might put accept mark points in. So it's not 100% right. We would rather, when teachers are looking at those mark schemes after the, the, the results are out, when they're made available that what they're teaching is the core content of the mark scheme but there are some points and you know over time you're trying to sort of help teachers get the knowledge that that they need and kind of embed that there so we will try and do that up front but during the standardization process or when we're looking at scripts if we see that students have interpreted a question in a different way than we intended then we will make some changes but we are trying to minimize that as much as possible to make sure we're doing it right up front and we're not just kind of adding in anything. Yes. And it's not, you know, it's not if we if one student's done something different, then we'll go, oh, we put this in as well. <laughs> but if we're seeing evidence that we should be making amendments, then we do. Flipping act. The thought process that goes into this is, is absolutely fascinating. So, Suzanne, it's been an absolute pleasure to speak to you today. Thank you so much. Thank you. Okay. It's clear that an incredible amount of work goes into creating mark schemes. But how can we as teachers ensure we're making the most of them? Could they actually be useful teaching tools that have been under our noses this whole time? I'm off to meet Carmel Bones. She's a long-serving history teacher and she's also an educational consultant working with teachers and students. So I can only imagine the wealth of experience she'll have to share with us. So we have heard from Suzanne about all the thought that goes into mark schemes. But what I'm interested in now is what does that look like in the classroom? So I've come all the way up to sunny Carlisle to speak to Carmel, who's going to hopefully enlighten me. Oh, hello, Craig, and welcome to Cumbria. Thank you very much. I'm going to open up with a deep question. We might as well get the ball rolling in style here. How do you feel about mark schemes in general? Well, that's a biggie. Um, <laughs> obviously, they're, a, I suppose, a necessary evil is how I would describe them. In terms of using them in the classroom, I have kind of mixed views in that it depends on how and when you introduce them to the students. There isn't a one-size-fits-all situation. In terms of how I feel about them, then obviously teachers have got to be au fait with them. They've got to understand the rubrics and what's expected. We want our students to be successful at the end of the day. In terms of how I feel about them with use of students, I think they should be introduced to them pretty early on, but it very much depends. You don't want to bore the pants off the students. (laughs) You don't want to bog them down with the rubrics. And it depends on their starting points. If you're working with a high-flying group of year 13s, for example, it might be something that you introduce them to very, very early on, actually, because they may as well see what they're going to be up against. And they don't want to be frightened of it. And you don't want to keep it a secret. They like to be kind of on the inside if you like Mm. having said that other students it could switch them off it could disengage them and history is my background and I firmly believe you need to enthuse students about the subject the content the knowledge and in some cases the mark scheme and being able to meet with the criteria kind of takes care of itself so it really does depend judicious use of mark schemes is what I would suggest let's look at some practical ways of using it and I want to start by how do mark schemes if they do how do they inform your planning well 
Well, I think that's a really good point, and I think they should. I sort of take the backward planning approach. Okay. And quite often with, you know, my team of historians, we would sit down and look at the end game first mm. and think, well, where do the students need to be? What are they up against? And let's think how we can kind of drip feed or as take a staggered approach to introducing and releasing the information to the students. Oh. Quite often as well, having a choice available. So saying to the students, these things are all available on the website, so you can have a look. And you might have some real keen students who will go ahead and use them. Again, I, you know, think about post-16 students particularly. They might use their mobiles, fire away, look things up and be ahead of the game. So choice, I think, is very important as well. In terms of use in lessons, uh, you're going to laugh now, but I go think on. my approach would be to kind of get fun with Mark go Skin. On. Now, I know this is a contradiction in terms, but the idea of, let me use that mnemonic, the idea of making the students familiar with the mark schemes first, there's the first bit, getting to grips with how to use them, okay, and then now apply them. There's your fun, you see? There's fun, what's not to like? (laughs) And again, that would really vary on how you did it depending on the students, but I can give you a few examples if you like. I'll tell you why, because I use mark schemes a lot in maths. And they are the opposite of fun, the way I'm using them. So I am desperate for some help here. So go for it, Well, I might be glitching at straws, but I'm trying. So first of all, you've really got to sell it to the students. You know, I've done all sorts of things where it's play the examiner style. So you'll have the music on Mission Impossible, you know, cue the music. So you're selling it to them that they are going to be the examiners. And I've even said, oh, guys, you know, AQA have got a conundrum. They've got these scripts and they're a bit stuck and they really don't know how to mark them. And once the kids are pretty much sort of brought inside the exams in a way, they love that challenge and they're like, whoa, is it real, miss? Let's have a look. And you then get scripts from wherever. It can be from the exam board website. Mm. It can be, which I've done quite a lot, a teacher with a parallel group. And, you know, you anonymize Uh, things. And what I found is if you keep them authentic, don't bother typing them up. Goodness me, teaching's hard enough. Don't give yourself (laughs) another job. Use the student's real hand, anonymize them, and give the students a pack of mark schemes. Again, the more sort of missionify, you know, the more gamify you can do, the better. So perhaps have the mark schemes in an envelope, in a sealed envelope in the table when they come in. Different coloured paper card, anything to just add a bit of sort of spice to the lessons. Have the students then maybe in teams of, I would say, two or three, maybe four at the most. Okay. Any more than that, you'll have passengers who yes. sit back and don't take part. So you have a tight kind of marking team, if you like, and they then apply the mark schemes. And in my experience, they're really, really good at it. They look at the mark schemes, they look at the indicative content, and they apply it to the scripts that they're given. And then they put them in a pecking order and they rank them. And then, you know, you would feed back to the students and reveal what the marks might actually be if you haven't said it was a stuck situation, you know, depending on how you've sold it to them. Or you can say, that's great, I'll feed back once I've heard from AQA and you can keep them dangling to the next lesson or whatever, have another go, revisit it. It's something that I think you've got to do periodically rather than save it up for one time or keep it all to the end. Also things like chopping up the mark schemes and getting them, you know, maybe this would sort of predate what I've just described, would 
be part of the F of fun, familiarisation, chopping up the mark schemes and getting them to reorder them, sort them into the different levels, just literally giving them a mixed bag of slips and saying, wow, guys, you know, can you make sense of these? We need to photocopy them quickly, timer on again, mission impossible. (laughs) You know, you've got three minutes to get these into order. And then when you reveal that they've done it and they've achieved the task, they get such a great sense of accomplishment. Yes. And competency is very motivational. Mm. And if they get it right and they're introduced to it in that way, I know you'll be laughing now, Craig, but they might say something like, you know, can we do the mark schemes again? Wow. Can we have another look at some other examples? And, you know... <sighs> my kids have never said that. So this is, <laughs> this is music to my ears. I've been this. teaching a long time. <laughs> <laughs> so it's things like, for example, them saying, oh, you know, can we have, I mean, back in the day, you know, can we have a look at some Caesars against Ds? Which oh, I guess, wow, yes. you know, would maybe be Fours against yes. Five. And really unpick and be precise what's missing what do you need what do you not need you know that kind of approach also what's really interesting and what I love is I mean the students are pretty harsh in their application of them they have very high expectations (laughs) but you'll hear them saying oh they've just waffled there they haven't answered the question come on answer the question so it makes them very focused in terms of allowing themselves to think about what to miss out as Mm. well and not to waffle And I sort of say, come on, guys, you know, these guys are under pressure. It's in the exam. Give them a break. And they sort of say, they should know better. That's Look at the command words. Look at the date frame. They've gone outside of the date. That's waffle there. That question said, what was important about the arrival of Mary, Queen of Scots into England? Not her execution and the aftermath. It's the arrival. Come on, guys. And they really do become very, very empowered. So I've found it quite useful in that regard. So you mentioned here that it's something you drip feed throughout the year. Because I, I think hearing this, a mistake I've made with mark schemes is I, I just introduced them like a month before the exam. Whenever we start doing the, the practice papers with, with year 11s, that's when I go mark scheme mental with the kids. Is, is that a mistake? Well, when are you, Let's say you've got a year 11 class. Well, when would they be first be exposed to one of these activities? Well, year 11's too late in my oh, view. Oh, oh, okay. GCSE's lost and won in year 10. Right. Right, I'd, okay. I'd have revealed them to some groups again. Yes. It just depends, very, very much depends. I would have introduced some familiarization, mm. certainly in year 10. Mm. And the use of them, possibly a play the examiner type game, maybe even having things like laminated frames. I'm a big fan of laminated frames, whereby if you think of an old fashioned kind of overhead projector transparency, mm. something laminated that the students overlay onto a piece of work right. and then they would apply the mark scheme to their own work initially, perhaps. Yes and or to appears somebody else in their class. And then, of course, use of visualizers as well to put students' work then under the visualizer and show everybody while they've got the mark scheme and they're equipped to make comments and annotate the work that way. Now, one thing I've done in maths, and I'm intrigued whether this works in history, is we'll take a question... And I'll say to the kids, first off, how many marks do you think this question's worth? And secondly, can you create your own mark scheme for the question? Would that work in a in a subjective subject like history or is that a bit too much? No, it absolutely would. But I think if we go back to the fun with mark schemes, it oh, would yeah. come back to the you. They've been familiar with them. So they've yeah. had some practice of looking at them and um, looking at them in terms of their own work before they then go on to use them in that way. So you might give them, you know, almost, you know, a waggle, what a good one looks 
looks like. <laughs> what Give was that? A waggle. A, a waggle, yeah. What a good one looks like. God, another so, one I like this. Okay. So yeah. you would give them perhaps um, a mark scheme and a piece of work that's been levelled and marked yes. with some examiner's comments, i.e. yours perhaps, or one of your colleagues. And then you say to them, right, let's look at another example and you now apply this. So they've gone beyond the familiarity stage. Yes. They know the levels. They know some of the indicative content. And I would replicate that with a similar question. So, you know, you might be like, how convincing is source X about Y? Well, we would practice that and then we would give different content. So the application is the same, but the content is different. So, you know, how convincing is this source about Francis Drake's motives Mm. for going on a voyage of discovery? We might then swap that and say, you know, how convincing is this source thinking about the issues Elizabeth I faced in terms of her marriage. You know? yes. So you would use the same rubrics, but you would then alter the content. And once you got the students familiar with that and in the groove of it, maybe with some low tariff questions yes. at first, you would then move on to more complex mark schemes and the 16 markers. 16? Yeah, exactly. Oh. That's like jumping off a cliff, isn't it? Wow. And I would say, you know, show things sooner rather than later, if appropriate. Build it up throughout year 10. So by the time you come to year 11, they're very au fait with this. Yes. And they're spotting gaps in each other's work as well. Wow. One thing we do as a maths department is in our departmental meetings, we'll put up a question from, from a, a real life student, or as you say, we'll get one off, off the AQA website or wherever it is. And we'll, we'll try and mark it ourselves. And it'll be maybe a three mark question or a four mark question. And inevitably, we won't agree on how many marks that question would get. Now, that is a maths question, which, as you say, you'd imagine is kind of is kind of black and white. I cannot even begin to think what that would be like with a 16 mark history epic. Yeah, so yeah. do you talk to colleagues about mark schemes and, and how to allocate marks? And, and do those, I can imagine they could get quite heated. Very much so. Oh, yeah. I mean, you know, it's been going dark some nights when we've been still <laughs> yeah, having a yeah, ding yeah. dong about how much something's worth. But again, it just comes down to practice really we've done that in departmental meetings numerous times Mm. and had tricky questions there are a few ways around it i've encouraged my teaching team to mark for exam boards as well so they get an insight into exams and i have done gcse and a level so i would probably in my department be the final arbiter as it was because i'd had that experience But it is a learning curve. And I remember when I first started applying the mark schemes as an examiner, I was a bit too much as a teacher. Mm. I remember one of my team leaders saying to me, why have you rewarded that person with that mark? This was an online task. And I said, well, I could see where they were going. And he said, stop. They haven't done it. Uh, yes. You have to just reward what is there. You're now thinking, you know, person X, oh, they've done yes. their best. You've got to move into examiner head rather than teacher head. So I encouraged my teaching team to try and get into examiner head mm. and look at what was there. And we did all kinds of things like we swapped each other's scripts around to some extent yes, as well. That's a good one. And, you know, I mean, there's pros and cons because you don't want someone to be too harsh. And, you know, yes. we all we talked about relationships and the importance of that but it can work where you look at just something bold and bold and apply the mark scheme to the letter of the mark scheme because that is ultimately what will happen another thing i found and i wonder if you found this carmel is 
sometimes when I mark students' work using a mark scheme, it identifies big holes in my teaching, <laughs> kind of things that I've missed out. Yeah. And that's dead, dead useful for me because obviously I need to rectify that. Is, is that something that you found? And is that a kind of almost a hidden benefit of, of using mark schemes? The fact that it really forces you as a teacher to zone in on any potential gaps in your teaching, if that makes sense. Absolutely. And we, we talked about the idea of teaching backwards earlier yes. on. I think the teacher should completely familiarise themselves with the mark scheme before they issue anything to the students. And something that I found really good practice throughout my career was always, always to do the question myself. Yes, yes, And yes. so often I'm quite surprised by, and I know people are in a rush and all the rest of it, and the issue stuff to students, and they haven't really thought mm. it through sometimes themselves. Yep. So I think you doing it yourself, and when you realise where the gaps could be, try and plug the gaps before you then set the exam because you or the question because you want the outcomes to be as high as they possibly can so what I've then done when I found that situation is gone back into lessons given the whole class feedback but said right on this table guys we're going to have like a free workshop on that particular question if you scored highly on it crack on you don't need to be with me having this extra bit also finding experts in the room you might have a class of 32 it's too hard for you to do it all pick one or two experts who scored highly on a question and then they can have a little team of their classmates around them and help them as well final question we're probably going to have plenty of new teachers listening to this podcast looking for some insights and advice if we've got a less experienced teacher listening who wants to use some of these techniques and wants to really get their head into into mark schemes and and turn them into a teaching tool not just like an add-on for assessment have you any advice for them I would say use the idea of backward planning. So look at the mark schemes first, see where your students are headed, use those to inform your teaching and your sequence of lessons. Use things like, you know, play the examiner, Mm. have these things ready to activate as and when it's appropriate. Again, approaches like getting students to write their own mark schemes, mark um, work from other classes. I mean, all kinds of different ways. And also a a new teacher or less experienced teacher, don't be afraid to ask for help. Mm. You know, your head of department is not a scary person. They were you once, (laughs) you know, maybe not too long ago. So go to them and don't be afraid. It's not a sign of weakness at all. Amazing stuff. Well, Carmel, I've absolutely loved every minute of this conversation. I have learned so much and you've helped me see how I can put the fun back into my schemes, (laughs) which is fantastic. So thank you so much for your time today. Oh, thank you you Craig it's been an absolute pleasure and thanks for your kind words I can't quite believe how much enthusiasm Carmel has for mark schemes but I have to say I think it's rubbed off on me I might just go away and come up with some of my own Mission Impossible style marking games if you'd like to visualize the sorts of thought processes Suzanne was telling me about earlier head to the podcast show notes where you'll find some annotated mark schemes to work through in your own time Next time, I'll be chatting with yet more exam writers, markers and pioneering teachers. So if you want to swat up throughout exam season, make sure you rate, review and subscribe to the podcast. Until next time, goodbye.